Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast, Frameline. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by film critic Paulo Cagoan. Paulo is a prolific writer over at InTheSeats.ca. He has also been published in the National Post and contributed to the film experience. Listeners will remember Paulo from episode 54, where we discussed the film Tangerine. Paulo, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> You're surviving? You're surviving? Yeah, yeah, survi- yeah surviving is yeah, like a more accurate version of it. Well, I, I'm glad to have you here today. Our, our main film for today is film One Night in Miami, directed by Regina King. Inspired by true events, the film is a fictional account of one night in which friends Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Malcolm X gather to celebrate Clay becoming the heavyweight champion of the world. And in the course of that evening, get into deep discussions about the civil rights movement and life in general. Paulo, do you want to kicks off with some of your initial thoughts obviously like we know malcolm x in the way that like spike lee depicted him in the movie malcolm x i mean obviously like from like his younger years to basically like his late 30s and there's always like this feeling that if there were like four separate biopics directed by men from like the past like 20 years like it's gonna be like hi these people have setbacks but these setbacks don't feel like anything we're just like the first four scenes of this film directed by a woman it it made these men feel vulnerable we're just like you're you're as good as your last concert you're as good as your last fight you're as good as the way the media perceives you you're as good as people interact with you in real life or like the last person interacted with you and yeah it's i think specifically these these men are like men of color and these are black men capital b see like you could probably speak to this more but there's something more vulnerable when men of color and black men experience these setbacks as opposed to just like white men it's like hey this is just a little setback i can pick myself back up it's harder to pick yourself back up if you're a man of color or if you're a black man I think you're onto something. And I think definitely for, I think people of color in general, a lot of the setbacks that these men encounter are, are relatable. Specifically, this film does focus on the the Black experience because of the nature of the, the men there. But I feel like, especially in the time that this film is, is hearkening to the 60s when you have the whole civil rights movement. And I would argue, and we could probably get into this a bit later on, that there's a lot of shades to what's going on in the world today. They want to just simply exist in the yeah. world, but due to the the power structure, and in, in this particular case, the structure where the white population kind of controls every aspect of their lives, it does carry a lot of weight. I like what you talked about the vulnerability, because this is one of the things that I was speaking to my wife about. She was kind of shocked that it's a film essentially about men just talking. There's not much yeah. in terms of action. And I said, you know, especially when you're talking about a film with people of color and race, I think what she found shocking was that there was no visible trauma. You know, we're so used to, you know, well, Spike Lee's depiction of, of Malcolm X covers a, a wide swath of things, but there's also a lot of focus on the fire bombings, the assaults, you know, you think of Selma or Catherine Bigelow's Detroit, what have you. It's always kind of like heavy focus on the physical abuse that, that Black people experience. Whereas here, they can convey all that type of emotion and hardship but you don't actually see you see one scene at the end where a house gets firebombed but for the most part they're just existing like like regular people and i just want to know i want to get your thoughts on 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 that and also the fact that all these men are in a state of transition and i guess the world that they yeah is in a state of transition 
And uh, yeah, I guess going back to sort of the the great man mythology, it's it's sort of yeah, it's really weird to see Malcolm X. Hey, like I'm I'm scared of like leaving the nation of Islam. Yeah, because we know we have 20 years of foresight. He dies within the year, but at the same time, it's like of course he's gonna of course it's gonna work out for him. Like people rem- people remember Malcolm X more than they remember uh, the Reverend Elijah Muhammad. So, yeah, same thing. We're just Cassius Clay being scared to come out of the closet as a Muslim. Of course, like he's gonna be fine. We we know now that he's gonna be fine, but but again, it's joining like what people consider like a fringe religion was a risky thing same thing with jim brown leaving football for acting or sam Cooke writing that as opposed to like silly love songs that are going to be covered by white people who are going to popularize or popularize those songs this film talks about how a lot of the times and especially in that era because white audiences refuse to acknowledge the talents of black people a song written by a black artist could only go so far. Whereas yeah. a song written by a black artist, but sung by an upper coming like the Rolling Stones or the Beatles is going to be number one and make, you know, a gajillion dollars type of thing. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting in how they approach that as well. Sam Cooke does point out the, the royalties do go to him and to black artists are supposed to be like back in the back in the day, you get a Cadillac and then afterwards you're you're lucky if you get royalties back. The aspect of like the, the song war or like the song battles were basically Sam Cooke was justifying his little pop, little love pop songs versus Malcolm X making fun of him. It's like feeling in me that he would, um, Malcolm, I mean, Malcolm X would not survive like vulgar authorism of this day where just Cardi B songs are considered feminist anthems now. We're just, but at the same time, it's um, Sam Cooke's silly love songs are like, there's something kind of profound about it. Black people are capable of just loving each other. That um, Those silly love songs are just as liberating as the songs about the struggle are. But, yeah, there's still like that. I, I don't want to call it snobbery. Uh, there's another word for it where just people, uh, people consider love songs to be like a smaller art or songs about like the more vulgar side of love. Or, yeah, they're not considered important words like songs about, you know, like Kendrick Lamar songs considered like the pinnacle of art where just like they're both equal in my eye and there are more people fighting for the former now yeah there's definitely a a push and pull if you will between what is deemed true art what is deemed important art there's a whole through line and and i guess it, it's perfectly accentuated in the sam cook malcolm x conflict where i guess the whole notion of what does it mean to be part of the struggle because Malcolm X has a very stringent view of what it is to evoke change, to get success. As you so nicely put it, there is something valuable in Sam Cooke's love songs. You know, yeah. the, the struggle isn't always about storming the streets. You know, sometimes it's about just being able to live love. There's a, a certain balance. And just because you are singing love songs doesn't mean that you can't use those love songs to be, you know, to say something more profound. One of the things that I enjoyed about this film is every, each one of them has their own definition of what it means to succeed, but also what they are doing for the greater good, the struggle. Like it's blackness is not a monolith in, in this yeah. film. And I think that's what it really stuck out. And having said that, though, I think trying to put people in certain boxes creates a lot of interesting drama in this in yeah. this film. There's a lot of again, these guys are just sitting around talking, but they create a lot of interesting tension, even as something as simple as like, you know, Jim Brown going into acting and, and Cassius Clay saying, what are you doing that for? That's you know, the black guy always dies first. You're not going to get far. <laughs> but then he finds out how much money he yeah. makes as an actor. He's like, well, wait a minute. Now this might actually be something good. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting drama that the film creates and also a lot of humor from that type of conflict. So I don't know if you had thoughts on that. 
looking back at it now, it kind of reminds me of like what Harry McDaniel says about them. I would rather I'm okay with playing like getting paid ten dollars, hundred dollars to be uh, to play a maid than to get paid a dollar a day for being one. Is it going to be harmful for the image of black people? if all, all they play are maids, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, if she gets a pay increase, she can sort of like trickle that down and support black businesses with that money. The questions that this movie, as well as like the context around this movie, yeah, it, it's the other, it's very complex on like what, what power really is. If like whether economic power representation is really what, what's better or what's not better. And uh, yeah, like um, these are like questions that I don't have the answer to, obviously. It does a good job in, in making us all think about it because you know these aren't easy questions to answer you got to think of race history economics i do like that they bring up the question of equality versus equity because often we think about just equality you know hattie mcdaniels as a good example being able to to play a maid back in the day that was you know groundbreaking without her being able to play the maid then other people can't come up and play other characters outside of me. So like you kind of need to get that that foot in the door. And at the same time, Hattie McDaniels should be able as an actor to make a decent wage compared to her counterparts who are exactly. probably making more for, for doing less. And, the, you know, in this film, you have people like Cassius Clay, who's essentially on the, the come up, as you will, because he's now world champ. So now he's going to start dealing with fame at a, at a completely different level than he has before yeah. sam cook has made it clear that he's making money you know he's making money to help his community even if those around him including his i wasn't sure if it was his girlfriend or his wife but she she was happy with essentially just being in the the lower motel with where all the black folks are whereas his manager set him up in that fancy posh white hotel where essentially he's probably the only person of color that's as a guest right but you know he's he's handling money a certain way Malcolm X is one who doesn't, I guess, out of all of them, probably has the least amount of money. And he's dealing with an organization where their leader is corrupt. He's essentially using activism for his own personal gain while others around him are still struggling. So there's there's an imbalance between equity and equality that this film mm. I think does a good job of pointing out and making people people think about. And one of the things I want to ask you about is this film like so many films that we watch, is a period piece. And when it comes to issues of racism in America, period pieces always seem to be like the go-to vehicle to try and quote-unquote bridge the gap. And I want to know if you, do you find period pieces still an effective tool? Do you, do you wish that you would have more films that show a modern view? I think I remember that sort of question when I think 12 Years a Slave and it's like, what's the Michael B. Jordan movie where that's like, that's the movie that he became famous for? Fruitvale Station? Yeah, yeah, Fruitvale Station, where basically this period piece got all the attention, whereas this, a modern, uh, a contemporary piece about racial injustice got ignored. But at the same time, there's that impression where just we're, we're able to look into the past and say like, hey, like well, things weren't, uh, things were bad back then. Either to say that like, look how we've improved now or like, hey, look how, how much we've not improved. But at the same time, I um with what I said earlier, how we look at Malcolm X in 1992 is different from the way we look at Malcolm X in 2021. When I was going to high school, I was in a world religions class and our like the movie about Islam was Malcolm X. Oh, interesting. 
Yeah, like, it's like, so it was such a weird choice because it's like, again, Malcolm X wasn't a mainstream Sunni Muslim until like the last year of his life. But, you know, like, depicting the five percenters as sort of the mainstream cinematic depiction of Islam is an odd choice. But, uh, yeah, tangent. No, no, it's not a tangent because I, I remember when I was in high school, they showed us Last of the Mohicans to give us, you know, I guess, perspective on indigenous life. That's the lesson that we're learning. We can go into a whole other thread about education in general and the, yeah. the lessons that we are taught via the films they show us in school. But even like in, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, people saw Malcolm X as a more radical version of Martin Luther King, which is like, yeah, like saw a danger to him, which is now it's Malcolm X has become more popular just because of how radical he is. And also we're like digging up like, what are what is like the craziest thing Ma- Martin Luther King ever said? Like, oh, like the, the riot is the language of the unheard. Like people quote that now, which is the sort of show context of, about the occasional violence that happens within, within like Black Lives Matter protests. Malcolm X being like this, being this radical, he's more popular now because he's radical. But at the same time, like this movie shows him that sort of version of him. The contrast is really interesting. People's views of Malcolm X are, are, are starting to change. And I think this film does a good job of, of showing the, the softer side of him. I think the Spike Lee film does a good job as well, but I mean, it's obviously a lot longer and more focused specifically on him, but as we record this, Martin Luther King Jr. Day in the States has passed and you see all these people quoting all this stuff from Martin Luther King and what a talking about how what a patient man he was and everyone magically forgets that back in the 60s he was deemed a terrorist the reagan era started to change this perspective where everyone thinks of him as this peaceful individual it's like rosa parks everyone thinks of rosa parks as the old woman who was tired and didn't want to get off the bus and everyone forgets that she was an activist you know that that was her first time being arrested like it's it's interesting how history and and the powers that be will will change uh, a narrative and i and i think it it kind of ties into this film because yes we do know where a lot of these men end up and i think knowing what happens to malcolm x makes his paranoia in the film a lot more palpable i would say there was times where even though each man gets their moment to shine and gets an arc i yeah. I almost felt sorry for Jim Brown because there are times where Malcolm's arc almost overshadows everyone. You really feel that sense of paranoia, even when he has to go and call his wife and he doesn't even trust his bodyguards that are around him. Like you, you, you just, you can feel the growing sense of, of dread. And I, I thought that was really, really well done. A beautiful blend of like vulnerability and intention. Kingsley Benadir portrays that sort of paranoia like in the subtlest ways just because yeah, a lesser actor would have just basically portrayed him as like, somebody like grinding his teeth for like two hours. I think like the main thrust of the movie is Malcolm trying to get Cassius Clay to follow him within the nation of Islam and the, the shift moves away from Cassius Clay to like, the ideological battles between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. There, there's something interesting about that but at the same time it's like yeah these are four people but on, I guess like only two of them really get to shine and that's like the only sort of flaw in this and I, I don't think that's Regina King's fault. Although I don't know, like maybe I guess like somebody could somebody could say that maybe she could help rewrite this so that all four of them get an equal share and share of lines and on the screen. But in uh, it, the play that it's based on, I've never I haven't seen it, but I'm gonna assume like it's loyal to that, and that's the only thing. If I had to dock points off, it, it'd be for that. I think it, I think it's definitely beholden to the the source material, which is a play. And I will say for a film that is adapted from a stage play. I think this film does a, a quite a good job. It's been interesting to see the recent wealth of, of films, especially films centered around Black characters that have come from plays. And compared to something like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I know people love, I 
wasn't as wild with as others like to me that film felt more like a stage play to me this one just it, it just flowed better like there was a certain flourish to it that i think ma rainey's was was missing just for me personally but if i would say that there's for me what the one flaw is and again it can go back to it being a period piece being a prestige type of film. I felt that there was times where the dialogue spells things out a little too much. Mm -hmm. For example, there's a scene where Sam Cooke and um, Cassius Clay are sitting in a car and yeah. Cassius Clay is talking about that the goal is to have what Sam Cooke has, that power. And then they start breaking down well, black power. What does black power mean? And black power means to be able to exist, be yourself and just what you want. I felt like they really were spelling out certain things for for audiences who may not be as familiar and there's just a couple times where that happens in the film and i i understand what they are trying to get at but it just felt a little too obvious like you shouldn't have to remind people that you know you can no longer sit on the fence you know like there's really a line that says a time for sitting on the fence is over we must act yeah. it's like okay i understand Th those lines are speaking more to today things haven't changed that much we really need to act now but i just felt like it it tried a little too hard at times to give the moral message that should just be obvious. I don't know, maybe I still have Shades of Green Book dancing around in yeah. my head where that film is a lot of that. You let us spell out everything and then we people walk away feeling comfortable. Like I, I wonder but walk away from this film, will they be interested to look into these characters? Will they be excited to change or will they look at it and go, oh, that was happened at that time. Hmm, some of those things seem familiar but we're, we're much better now. That was for me the flaw for this film. But again, it's not one that I would say not see. Like it's i'd still recommend this film yeah of course outside of that i i'm always like sort of on the side of just hey let's there yeah, there's always a different way to look at the past yeah i guess like especially now we're just i think society has like a cultural amnesia and that's especially true when it comes to like people of color you know abraham lincoln freed the slaves and then like nothing happened and then a hundred years later like martin luther king got civil rights act passed which is like i think yeah it's it's an oversimplification. And then people started learning about Malcolm X and people started learning about the guy who wrote Beale Street. Yeah, I am. I, yeah, I'm blank. Yeah, again, like, that, I guess that's my fault or whatever. No, Just, James, like, Baldwin. James yeah, Baldwin. Yeah, James Baldwin. And then, yeah, because like the three of them, like apparently like um, in the James Baldwin documentary, like three of them like appeared on a TV show and like debated and had debates about like what, what black power really is. And now we're we're seeing four, yeah, four people have their different viewpoints. And yeah, I, I think, yeah, like this multiplicity and sort of learning more names of people who contributed to black freedom is great. But at the same time, me blanking on James Baldwin's name is like indicative of that. We're just, we're yeah, we're going to like learn about these people for like a week and then like forget about them. So, like, yeah there's something a little tragic about that there, there are a lot of asians and filipinos did things but at the same time it's like i don't i don't know who they all are and like, we have that burden to remember all these people who, who fought and died so that i can walk down the street without being harassed interesting too because a, a lot of that is not just the burden on on us to remember these people and history gets changed in terms of how it's told right so a lot of stuff gets gets cut out the people who for the longest time had the power to tell those stories had no interest because it didn't fit a certain narrative you think of how many films you grew grew up with where an asian character was the hero you know and and or the romantic lead yeah unless you are looking at a, looking at a specific type of film those movies weren't getting made so a lot of those historic figures are are, are being lost 
one of the things that when you were speaking that it reminded me of in this film especially was they make reference to people looking to celebrities and famous people to kind of lead the way you know yeah. malcolm is very much use the voice that you have which on one hand is speaks to everyone regardless of if you're famous or not whatever your talent is whether it's writing singing um architecture whatever like use your talent to help raise awareness of the issues that are going on in society and then but there's also this other aspect of them as famous individuals and how much burden is placed on them to to lead the way and i and especially in this age of social media i find we have a love-hate relationship with yeah celebrity activism and i just want to know what your your thoughts are, of, of that are and especially in in the context of, of this film uh, we've talked a lot about how people received Malcolm X's activism, but at the same time, it's Muhammad Ali's a boxer. Um, Jim Brown is like an actor slash football player. Sam Cooke's a singer. At the same time, it's were people that like were people telling them just shut up and sing or shut up and box or something because this movie sort of portrays celebrity culture as just every everybody was idolized in a certain way. Where now, like there's Kendrick Lamar, there's LeBron James. These are people who have spoken up about politics, but I think people take them less seriously now. I guess like that's your problem with the like, period pieces, rose-colored glasses. Our perspective on so yeah, like celebrity activism is like more complex now than it was then. Or maybe like, the film does not necessarily like speak to the skepticism towards celebrity. In the context of the film, they hint at the cost because especially back then, the cost was a lot greater for athletes. Muhammad Ali refusing to partake, I think it was in the Vietnam War, you know, had him essentially like blacklisted from the sport for a long time. And again, revisionist history, we look back at him as a, a great person, a beloved yeah. figure, but there was a time where outside of the Black community and outside of those who were anti-war, he was considered a villain, a traitor, didn't want anyone rocking the boat. Now, I think we have a culture where because of, of social media, there's also an onus on not just speaking out. What are you doing on top of that? Like, yeah. Because we live in a strange culture where we want our celebrities to voice an opinion, but at the same time, we don't want them to voice it too much they get yeah. chastised for speaking out or they get yeah. chastised for, for not speaking out, even if they might be doing stuff behind the scenes. I think we are in a very interesting time where celebrity culture is, is looked on upon almost a little too heavily. A, a celebrity essentially became president for four years and we yeah. saw what happened there. So I don't, it's a very interesting time we're in. And I, and I thought that was an interesting aspect of the film because you have these four men who are, are wrestling with fame but mm -hmm. all, and the weight of it, but also the weight of responsibility being Black and famous in a time when just being Black was, was, yeah. was tough. It's a, it's a very interesting film that I think leaves you with a, a, a lot to, to think about. Another thing about like celebrity activism, it's like there's the onus on activism in general is like you have to be ideologically pure. You're a socialist, like why do you have an iPhone? Like the same sort of onus was put upon black activists like Malcolm X. The film also portrays him feeling the burden of that ideological purity. Like, well, yeah, if gay with black power, like, why do you support a man who has a mansion while like black people are almost starving? The difficulties of ideological purity. Yeah, and I think we, especially now, I think we are living in a time where people are, are taking that 
ideological purity to the extremes just and, and using it more to diffuse a, a situation opposed to to fix it yeah. now, and one of the things i liked about this film was that scene that you're referencing when they call him out for supporting elijah muhammad despite the fact that elijah muhammad has been doing some horrible things mm-hmm. and has also amassed his wealth and yeah. you can see that malcolm himself is wrestling with it because he's a man who believes in the faith but doesn't believe in the leaders who are preaching the faith mm-hmm. And there was a line where I think Sam Cooke says, it's either Sam Cooke or Jim Brown says that he's changed, that he used to be more than just about one thing. But mm-hmm. because he's been so narrowly focused down this one ideological path, that that's all he can see now. He can't see anything else before. Like they said, they could hang out with him and they could laugh and talk about other things. It wasn't always about the movement. And now he's a person who's, he's, he's essentially supporting people that he knows deep down are, are no longer good. I think you raise a very good point about ideological purity. And I think that's one of the things I like about this film. Because you have four different viewpoints, each viewpoint has its pros and cons. And that's just how, how life is. There's ways that you can bridge the divide and use each viewpoint for the greater good. During this pandemic, like, I don't want to flex, but just I've been sort of reading all these books and listening to all these podcasts about the Russian Revolution and all the other like European re- revolutions leading to the Russian Revolution. And basically, it's like how the, the Russian Socialist Party was like even before Lenin took over. There was a lot of like corruption and there's like a Me Too sc- like a proto Me Too scandal within the Russian Socialist Circle in the, the late 1900s. So it's the same thing um, with this film. We're just it's yeah, it's not like Malcolm X started um, the Black freedom movement he, yeah like he's sort of like following like footsteps of like a hundred years and like there's yeah there's something exhausting about like people have been like fighting for freedom for a hundred years and like the goalposts keep moving yeah i agree with that and i think as exhausting as it is one of the things that i think we all need to do and you're showing that you're doing with your research on the russian history is simply yeah. reading taking it on us to learn because yeah. as you said once you start diving into it once you start you start to see the patterns you start to realize why certain things haven't changed why the struggle goes well beyond malcolm x well beyond kaepernick whoever you want to talk about for the moment and really understand how deep the weeds are and what really needs to be done to uproot those weeds apollo thank you very much for coming on this show it's always a pleasure talking to you where can listeners find you? You can find my writing at intheseats.ca. I am on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Yeah, I'm on Reddit, but like all I do there is comment. Yeah, Tumblr. Yeah, just um, at my home where nobody's allowed because nobody's allowed in the show anymore. <laughs> well, that, that, that's all right. What What's your Twitter handle? So if people want to at least reach out to you there, if they can't come to your home. Yeah, um, Paulo Case, P-A-O-L-O-C-A-S-E. Um, yeah, I don't tweet a lot, but like I hope like my little tweets are substantial enough. Yeah, same thing as like the four men in this movie. Like, hopefully, like the things that they do. Yeah, like them hoping that like the things that they do are enough. Like, hopefully. Exactly. You're using your you're using your voice. Yeah, using <laughs> listeners. You can reach me on Twitter at Small Mind, or you can reach the show on Twitter at Changing Reels AC. Thank you very much for listening. And remember, you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time.